0: This is Future Terms from Teach First, a half-termly panel event looking at the biggest issues facing schools in disadvantaged areas. Don't forget to subscribe to listen back to each event. But for now, enjoy the episode.
1: Good evening, uh, everybody. I'm Russell Hobby. Uh, I'm Chief Exec at Teach First. Um, Delighted to welcome you to this panel on the role of um, education technology and particularly its impact on social mobility uh, as well. Um, We, I'm delighted to be joined by uh, a panel of distinguished guests uh, to talk about this topic from a variety of perspectives uh, as well. And we'll um, introduce those in a a few short moments um, too. So uh, just to provide a a little bit of context uh, for for what we're going to be discussing, um, obviously during the, pandemic, we have faced significant disruption to our lives in many different ways, both the world of work, but very um, obviously the world of education uh, as well, with um, many young people being kept out of um, school uh, for extended periods of time and also facing many other challenges in their, in their lives uh, too. We have seen technology be used in fascinating, innovative and, and very rapid ways i think to try and tackle that and you know we'll probably talk through various uh, examples uh, of that but i just think if you said to anybody uh, a year ago that we would be able to almost completely reinvent our school system to be delivered both physically and online at the same time i don't think anyone would have believed that was that was possible Uh, and it was possible and it was done Uh, and i think you know we should applaud the work of teachers school leaders and everybody working in that environment who's made that possible. There's also been fantastic initiatives like Oak National Academy. There's been work um, by many other organisations to share their resources more broadly as well. So at one level, technology has done, already done great things to tackle challenges to social mobility. But we've also been starkly brought to us that access to technology itself is uneven. Uh, and uh, it's all very well if you have a great broadband connection, a good device, a room at home to work, people who are able to guide you along the way uh, for that. There is a risk, actually, that if these resources are unequally divided, um, that we will we'll make things worse in terms of disadvantage gaps uh, rather than better. Uh, that's what we're here to explore and understand today, both to, to, to look at the successes, look at the challenges and the gaps, but and also to find ways uh, around them. I think that's enough uh, for me. I'm going to invite each of our panelists, starting with Lisa, um, to uh, introduce themselves uh, and their background um, and um, to to spend three or four minutes or so just stating their view on this. uh, And then we'll we'll move to questions. So Lisa Barrett, uh, our first panelist, Vice President of Learning, Innovation and Operations at Multiverse. Um, over to you. We're, we're dying to hear from you.
2: Thank you. Thanks so much, Russell. It's a topic I'm really passionate about. So, um, hello, everyone. As mentioned, my name is Lisa Barrett. I'm the, the Vice President of Learning, Innovation, and Operations at Multiverse. You can probably tell from my accent, I was born in the US, uh, but have lived in the UK since 2015 and have worked on issues of uh, global education and equity on a lot of different continents. Um, my career has focused uh, for a long time on a few things. So, one is education, obviously. Another is data, effective use of data. Um, And a third one is around what makes people people, you know, what makes us really happy and and tick and and how do people function? So just to kind of tell a few stories that relate my views and a little bit about my background. I Actually, my first job out of university was I was a teacher. So I did something very similar to Teach First, Teach for America. And I checked this box on the application, which said, would you be willing to teach students with special needs? I didn't even know what that meant. And I remember sitting there in in my flat at the time And I thought, well, I wouldn't not be willing to teach any students. So I checked this box and I ended up being placed in a situation where I had students who ranged from age six to age 12, all over the the map in terms of what they uh, were able to do. And technology became an important thing for me because I literally couldn't teach all of them at the same time. They were on such different levels. I'd use technology to be able to have some of them work independently and move around. So I literally wrote three curricula every single day for all of my students to have them be, be effective. So Spent been about a decade in education reform in the US, uh, leading teams, innovating and, and, and using technology actually to improve outcomes in, in school districts around the US. Um, and then another important point worth mentioning is, I was, uh, before I moved to the UK, I was a director of, of um, strategic partnerships at Coursera. So largest massive open online course platform in the world. What's exciting about Coursera, and it's been exciting about the, the MOOC movement, the massive open online course movement, is the access. So what can technology do? It can give great access. But I was really clear at the time, and I'm really clear now, the danger is that we could end up in a world where there are two very different tiers, where most people get access to online education, which looks like e-learning, which looks like kids sitting at a computer, not with a human. And then a small group of people get access to really high quality in-person experiences. And I don't think that's right. So we need to be really careful that we're not perpetuating or even making worse the 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 issue of inequality, and um, now I'm the vice president of learning, innovation, and operations at Multiverse. So we specifically work on professional apprenticeships, and what does that mean? It means that we think that education and training in the world of work shouldn't be separate. And how that relates to this conversation is everything that we do is about applied learning. So for me, this is really the natural conclusion of the you know the previous twenty years of everything I did, which is. We want uh, learning to be about what you're going to actually be able to do with it. So, so everything should start from what you need to be able to do, and you should work backward. And technology should be a part of that conversation, but not separate. So what's really interesting about the work that we've done is in the pandemic, we moved our entire business online within nine days. But actually, 99% of our learning is delivered face-to-face. So it is through technology. It is through technology exactly like what we might be doing now through Zoom. But it's all live, so it's all human, it's all social, it's all interactive, it's not people sitting there you know, clicking boxes or answering things. It's not tech to human, it's human to human. And I think that's a really important thing for us to think about as well is technology can be an enabler or it can be the deliverer and there there are benefits of different things. But I guess I would kick off the conversation by saying, what I really believe is that that we need to start from what we want people to do, and that's not just know, know things. You have to know things and be able to do things with them in the real world, with others, you have to be able to work with other people, you have to be able to present information and technology is best for things like getting knowledge and and doing things before you come into a a session where you're doing things together. And it also, by the way, can help close achievement gaps. So there's some research about how women, for example, and girls will do better if they can practice math and science skills more before they come into a session where they have to do it with their peers, right? So there are ways to actually use technology to give give people more practice and to level the playing field. I think we need to be really, really careful that the end. The end isn't technology. It's what technology can allow us to
1: do. Thank you, Lisa, uh, for that for that starter. There's a there's a couple of good points to remind us of there in the sense that that technology covers a lot of ground uh, as well, and it can mean us doing some of the same things that we've always done through different media, and also doing very different things uh, uh, as well. So let's build on that by um, inviting uh, Dawn Ferdinand, um, head teacher of the Willow Primary School, um, just to again int- please Dawn, please do introduce yourself, and then say a few words on, on the topic.
3: Okay, hi, I'm Dawn Ferdinand, very proud head teacher of the Willow Primary School and Broadwaters Children's Centre, where I'm situated in Tottenham, which uh, in Harringay, in London. I've been a headteacher for 21 years in an area of high social deprivation. Um, so, you know, it's uh, really interested in this topic and how it can support um, my children, my school community. Um, I want to approach this in two ways. First, I want to reflect on what's happened over the last year and where we are now. And secondly, what I think, you know, could happen in the future. Um, So digital divide is still a real concern. I think as long as you've got children and young people without the dedicated use of a device, it's always going to be an issue. what happened over the last year is that many children they either didn't have a device or they had to share, which meant that lots of children were left for hours without access to their school offer. Um, as well as this, we have the situation around in their, their surrounding their home conditions, such as inappropriate spaces to learn or little or no support from an adult. Um, I had children, for example, when they lesson doing their online lessons, they were doing their lessons in their stairwell or in the bathroom. Why? Because some of them live in uh, accommodation where they're in a shared house situation and they live in, you know, three or four members of family are living in a room with a shared kitchen, a shared bathroom. So where's a quiet space? Maybe on the stairs. Or they have a bed sit and um, they've got a little two year old running around screaming, couldn't do their online lessons, even if they had headphones. So they've gone into the bathroom to do it. So, you know, it's more than just the technology. It's about the spaces as as well. Um, When we asked our children, less than half of them said that they had a quiet space to do their online learning. 37 37 of our children said they had nowhere quiet to work at all any of the time and even though we invited them to school parents had choices and you know we have a vulnerable community and so a lot of them decided they didn't want to send their children in at that point. So many children without the devices, many children were left for months without access to, to their right to education which I feel like in in this technological rich society, we really shouldn't have been in that situation, not in this this day and age. Um, It's great that, you know, the government rolled out um, the laptops and Chromebooks for schools and schools gave out what they had and charities gave out um, devices and we're really, really grateful for that. However, one between three is still not good enough. Um, Second part, more optimistic. I really do believe that we can make... The extraordinary things happen with the use of technology in schools and I'll, I'm sure we'll talk about what I'm, my thoughts on that uh, later on but I believe in the power of us to make the difference Russell already said I mean teachers really stepped up to the plate didn't they you know this time some of my teachers were a bit technophobe and what they managed to achieve over that period of time and that just shows you with time and the incentive what can be done so i think there's really if we are investing if we choose to invest in our teachers in time for them to develop in experts to come and help i think that you know technology can have a positive impact on outcomes so i'm optimistic about the future
1: that's a good point to build on Um, from from there maybe we can find ways that we don't require major global crises to stimulate the uh this innovation uh, as well. Um, and I think an important reminder that, again, it's not just about the technology, but the social context in which the technology is used in as simple as the space that you have available um, to you is also a major factor on this. And these things are layered together as well throughout our society um, too. So um, I'd like to, to next invite um, uh, the Right Honourable Damien Hines MP to uh, contribute. Damien is uh, MP for East Hampshire. Couple of other qualifications, including being Secretary of State for Education, um, and also chair of um, uh, during sorry Secretary of State for Education, eighteen to nineteen, um, and currently chair of the All Party Par- Parliamentary Group on Education Technology uh, as well. Uh, Damien, uh, do introduce yourself and say a bit more on this topic.
0: Thank, thank you, thank Thanks for the invitation. Um, yeah, it was a great it was a great privilege to be. Uh, education Secretary in 2018 to, to 19 and I, I now very much enjoy uh, working with the All Party Parliamentary Group on Education Technology. Because I think it's such an exciting growth area. I also used to chair another uh, All Party Group. This is before I was a minister. The All Party Parliamentary Group on Social Mobility. So really bringing together the two uh, the two topics uh, today, and I'm so pleased that Teach First specifically is is looking at how how the one can support support the other. Russell, you you were right um, in in what you said, that lockdown has really catapulted uh, technology into an unprecedented level of importance. And it's also really shone a light on what it can do. Um, A light uh, that has then been seen, of course, by teachers, but also by parents and by children Uh, have have had new exposure to what technology can do. It's also shone a light, of course, on what its shortcomings are, what its its limits are. education teaching is a is a people business Uh, but where technology comes in i think there's a a ton of techno a ton of potential uh, for technology to support um uh, to support great teaching and and nowhere is that more important than in the than in the arena of, of social mobility helping uh those kids and young people who need extra help to realize their potential and to get uh, to where they want to go, to, where, to get to where they can go, and to have um, ultimate um, uh, you know, self, self-fulfillment. Teachers have done an amazing job in this pandemic, not only getting to grips in many cases with new types of technology, new types of application, but of course running two systems of education uh, in parallel. It's been truly amazing. Um, I'm really looking forward in this uh, session to hearing some of your thoughts Um, uh, in terms of questions, but also learning from your experience of how technology really worked for you in lockdown and how you think things will be different in future, because we certainly aren't going back in terms of technology deployment to where we were before, uh, before lockdown. So again, I welcome this, I I welcome this discussion, and look forward to taking part.
1: Thank you very much. Uh, I'm now going to uh, introduce uh, Sir Mark Grundy, Chief Executive Officer of Shireland Collegiate Academy Trust. Trust. Uh, Mark, do do introduce yourself a bit further and and say a few words on the topic. Thanks, Russell. Um, Good evening, everybody. Um, So I'm I'm
4: Mark Grundy. I'm the CEO, um, as Russell said, of Shireland. We're based just on the edge of Birmingham. um, My group of schools, primary and secondary Uh, are based in Sanwell, Dudley and Walsall, which are three of the four black country local authorities. Um, All of my schools serve pretty deprived communities. So social mobility is a bit of an issue for me. Um, And over the years actually Teach First has been a great agency to actually support me in terms of moving all sorts of things forward. The pandemic has been grim. I mean, it's been grim for everybody. I think the, the only thing that helped us um, considerably as we've invested in technology for an awful long time so um, we have um, an architecture in school that we've built to enable our youngsters to have um, something like the same opportunities that I took for granted with my own children so we've created a set of structures whereby all of our children expect to do some learning at home on a daily basis and have done for a number of years so when the, when we went into lockdown, what our staff could do was, I wouldn't be as blasé as to say flick a switch, but we could actually say, look, we're used to doing this, we're used to work in a blended way. More importantly, the children were, because I think there's, there's certain issues, there's certain recurring issues that come up in every discussion like this. One is the absence of devices. There's, that's absolutely right. There is an issue with that. But there's also a problem with the fact that over the last few years, We haven't put as much emphasis on technology as we did a number of years ago. So we haven't actually harnessed some of the potential of tech. So we have our youngsters access our Office 365 environment on their Xboxes and on their PlayStations. And they're used to doing it and we've trained them to do it. So immediately this, well, the department have only given me one device, so I've got three children, I can't cope, diminishes because actually they're used to having a learning system in home that links to the learning system in school i think the problem that we have nationally is we haven't created that learning ecosystem between home and school over the last x number of years and equally we haven't developed the pedagogies around it well we have but we haven't done it nationally and um if you went back lots of years more than i want to admit i was a massive critic, critic of a structure called um, Slicked, which was the leadership program for senior leaders that we ran nationally, because it was pretty boring and it was pretty geeky. And actually, I don't think it was really founded on behavior change and system change. But Oh, I miss it now. And, you know, I, I'm embarrassed to admit I miss it now because I don't think we've trained our senior leaders to harness something that rather hypocritically we all take for granted. So we all presume we can use tech in our lives, but we haven't presumed we should harness tech in our schools and from our schools to our homes. So I think there is a device issue, everybody. Um, there is definitely a content issue. I think what the Oak National School did is laudable. I think if we had more time, we would have done it differently. It wouldn't have been anonymous. It would have been individualized to children. We would have had, had analytics in the background so we could have used it diagnostically. But and I'd hate anyone to think I was being critical because I think all those guys did a wonderful job filling a gap, which, I'm, if I'm honest, I don't think should have been there. But where I want to get is um, we describe our use of technology as being mundanely clever and have done for quite a while. And actually, what really makes me proud is when our staff say, it yeah, has nothing. That's no, not particularly special. I'm not particularly good. If you went back at a dozen or so years in, in, our, in Shireland and the rest of my schools as they've grown, it was heroic technology and now it's systemic. And that what I now need to see is how we together will make what technology can offer systemic and not as, as peculiar and as um, a sort of niche as perhaps I think it's become in some of our schools. So.
1: So the measure of success will be when we don't talk about it, rather than when, we, uh, when we do uh, talk about it. Um, and one of the things that I, was very clear to me um, as, a, as a parent, as much as anything, was the difference between the first closure and the second closure uh, of schools in terms of having learned the lessons from the previous time and developing a pedagogy that starts to work uh, over technology. Some of the same techniques apply, but you need different techniques. Uh, as well. And I, again, I think to, to your point, what could we do if we were thinking ahead and we'd had two years to prepare for this situation? Presumably there will be future disruption, there will be other crises, there will be other opportunities in business as normal. If we could get some of that work done now, um, what, could we, what could we achieve? So we've got, we've got some questions coming in, but I'm going to use my privilege uh, as chair to ask a few to, to, to warm us up. Uh, I'm going to divide these actually, firstly, a, a question for the, for the two people uh, on the front line here within schools, which is really a simple one about what do you need? What would help you uh, in your role? What what would you ask for from government, from businesses or others around you to help you use technology to boost um, social mobility? Um, let me, Mark, let me, since you're on the line, let me start with you on that one and then I'll come to Dawn. Um,
4: Russell, if I'm honest, what I want is I actually want Um, And I think Damien brought this, but I'm not sure other ministers have. I want a real belief that technology is a utility. It's a catalyst. It's a medium. It's not a subject. And I think at times it's been sidelined because people see it as a thing that's a GCSE or a BTEC. And actually, that's not what we should do. So I want a different view. I still find it amazing that in 2021, an EBAC cannot have a digital element. if we're actually saying that we believe there's a curriculum that will unlock the potential of our young people in our country, and it's devoid of a digital presence, I can't get my head around that. So Russell, on my Christmas list, please, it's a different position of this. Um, and if the pandemic, if the only thing the pandemic brings is, is the odd U-turn, because we've had a few of those, so we may as well have another one, uh, the odd U-turn that actually places this differently than actually for an awful lot of children, it
1: may cause a change. Okay, um, and Dor, what's on your Christmas list uh, as well? What can we do to help you uh, as well?
3: I think um, it's a it's a case of first, we it needs to be proper access for all. So in terms of um, making it fair, they need to the device. Every child needs to have a device. Connectivity. It needs to be like electricity. You know, it's just there. Um, so that if we want to use it, if we want to have that vision of schools can be and learning can be anytime, anyplace, any place, anywhere that that that's available. Um, I think what we need is some in, real investment in technology in schools and innovation. Um, I'm in a situation where I don't know what I don't know. I need some support to understand that. Um, I think in terms of um, like what Mark was saying, I think we need to have a bit of a policy change so that remember the way, when um, uh, the government was introducing like the literacy and the numeracy strategy, so much work went into it, training for staff, resources. I think if we want to really push this forward, it has got to be higher on the priority list so that we feel that this is something that we all can get we all have the resources and the time to jump on and move forward with. So, yeah, I think that's that's what I want.
1: <laughs> we're going to do it. Let's do it properly on um, this. Uh, uh, um, for Damien and Lisa, um, slightly different question here. In sense, you've got access to a whole, a broad, from a sounds bit, a broad range of sectors. Uh, it's not just education and schools in particular that are going through this. Are there lessons to be learned that you're seeing from outside of, of education? What should, you know, who should schools be looking to? Or what initiatives are going on that might be exciting to bring in um, to education as well? Um, Lisa, can I start with you on that one?
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, I, the thing that comes to mind for me is this question about, because I think when we think about technology, we think about disruption. But, a, but actually, there are places where we need to disrupt the model itself and then use technology in line with that, if that makes sense. So when you're asking about kind of lessons we can learn, I mean, I would look to some of the work that we're doing, for example, around rethinking the, the, the way that education in the higher education space is delivered and, and what that means. And, and it goes back to this idea of, if you think about um, you know if you think about the way that learning has traditionally worked, you, you, you get a bunch of information and then you're supposed to kind of go off and apply it in the rest of your life. And we all know that's not really working, isn't it, the way it has worked. Um, what's been really exciting about the work in the professional apprenticeship space and what Multiverse is doing is a fewfold. So one is saying, you know, what are the actual skills and things that are going to be needed in practice, and then how do we work back from that? And that actually, at the center of our model isn't technology; it's coaches. Okay, so it's a it's a it's a coaching relationship. I love how Don's championing, you know, teachers the, the 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 that coaching relationship or that personal relationship, and then again, technology is really the question in my mind is how do you how do you maximize the use of that very important individual? And, and, that, and that's really the, you know, the point of technology in that way. And then the second is actually, if you think about patterns of inequity, because I think all of us are interested in how do we get the right outcomes across not just a you know, subgroup, really across everyone in, um, in, in, in the country and in different areas, then, then actually one of the things we need to look at is, for example, um, that, that traditionally you know, so much comes down to where did you happen to go to school and then can you afford you know, X, Y, and Z? To get where to, to get further along and and actually what, what we've done is built a model that's based on potential and not based on academic achievement so how do we look at who a kid is or who an adult is and what their potential is and what their skills are and not just traditional markers of, of success like can you pass a test or can you write an essay a certain way and then design a system around that so again i think i think what's exciting is the the pandemic has given permission to disrupt things and it's not just about technology so again for us you know, we've been disrupting this model of Uh, you don't you you don't have to go to university we've just launched our first degree awarding apprenticeship program so you can actually get paid be learning data skills which we all know every organization needs and then end up with a degree in that in that process so we need to look for more things like that um where we can where we can again disrupt the system and then use technology to do that so i didn't exactly answer your question russell i kind of i sort of did but hopefully that's useful sort of
1: answering them is 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 the privilege that we have on these ones you twist the question to to the area of focus as well but I think that's that's helpful and just like you don't know what you've got till it's gone you also don't know what you can do without until you're forced to do without it as well so we a lot of people will be reevaluating the value of traditional courses of education and whether they can get the same results um, elsewhere uh, as well. Um, Damien do you have you seen other interesting practice in other in other fields that, that education should be looking to?
0: Yeah, so I think look for the lessons from other sectors, my big observation on ed tech, you know, coming out, I'm not a teacher. I'm not doing it in the classroom, but looking at it from the outside and I hear obviously from lots of teachers and in this ed, ed tech or party group, we hear from lots of people across the, across the sector. My big, big observation is that technology is meant to be a personal productivity tool fundamentally. And we, you know whether that's a teaching application or Microsoft Excel. Um, unfortunately, in education for many people, and I'm thinking of a sort of pre, uh, pre-teach pre first world, if you can think back to then, the old days of, you know, microcomputers coming into schools and those smart boards and so on. Actually, when you talk to teachers, quite often they don't associate technology with a decrease in work. They associate it with more work. Uh, and that's that we have to tackle because actually there is a ton of workload reduction potential in uh, in technology, all the big, big drivers of workload plan, like planning and prep, marking, data manipulation, data entry, general administration—all of these things can be helped by technology. And I think we, as a sector, education needs to have a relentless focus on every time something is deployed. Yes, of course, it's about enhancing teaching and learning, but it should also—we should always be saying like, where is the angle that that helps helps the teacher in the, their job more? more broadly. And then one other observation, if I may, Russell, I, I used to work in the travel business. And, you know, 20 years ago, we were uh, under under threat, if you like, in the travel business from new model intermediaries, these smart kids in their dot coms and all, uh, their dot com bubble. Um, and we had to get a lot sharper at how we designed our applications. And, and you know, the, the marginal gains you would have from how you would design something on a screen how you would learn from how the human eye moved around, how they interacted with the application, how you got more from them, how you get them to spend an extra 10 seconds on the site. All of these things we were totally focused on. Looking over my kid's shoulders at various software packages over lockdown, that work hasn't really happened <laughs> uh, in, in, a lot of, in a lot of ed tech. There's some fantastic products out there, but there's still an awful lot of, um, an awful lot of potential uh, to go uh, to really understand how how kids interact with them but also to understand how teachers um, how, how teachers interact with them to make sure it really really goes with the grain uh, of of education so i think the good news is there's some fantastic stuff has happened some brilliant products and there's a lot more uh, can still happen
1: and i think you know that that reminder that although it's uh, sort of touted as a productivity gain you cannot take productivity gains for granted from technology without seeing no. C- through and realizing them and they often you know sector after sector they lag productivity lags quite a long way behind the investment in technology because it really requires a change in culture uh, and practice if you just do the same things you've done but do them online that can be helpful but it's not unlocking transformation there uh, as well so we we can't take that that for granted Um, so I've used up my privilege of of asking the questions I'm going to um, field the questions from uh, our audience, of which we have, have coming in, and some of them are, are picking up uh, on these topics uh, as well. Um, I think, you know, first one, what we've got here is, is someone asking about what the panel see as the biggest gains to be made by the adoption uh, of technology. And I see this as looking forward. We've survived the pandemic. We've, uh, we've done our best to mitigate the, um, uh, the losses that are there, but we haven't uh, wholly succeeded um, uh, in that one as well. But if we keep this going, what is there to be gained from technology in a few years time what's the uh, what what's the goal uh, here um uh, and i'm going to sort of uh randomly pick on people for this one um you need to look like you don't want to answer the question if you don't want me to uh, to, to pick on you uh, mark um you're, you're not looking like you don't want me to to ask this so what's, what's to be gained here five o'clock russell i don't
4: care um, um... <laughs> Uh, I think what's to be gained is what we've seen over the years, which is if, if you embed it properly and you train with it properly, and as Dawn said, if you resource it properly, you see a massive change in engagement. Russell, so across the summer, when the government gave out the year 10 devices, we decided we would build something called edgy school. So we built a site for 15 schools in the black country and Birmingham, secondary schools. And we basically said to the kids, when the summer holiday starts, if you want to log on, we'll we'll teach you. We'll take you on virtual trips. Um, and one of my staff, her cousin is a park ranger in the Sequoia National Park. So she managed to get her cousin to take all the kids in my summer school structure the Reggie school around the trees. Couldn't get them off it. They loved it. Um, it was the most popular thing we did. Second only to the resilience and well-being work that we did of actually building a structure that's now moved in some work with Cooth that actually, whilst we gave academic support, we gave some pastoral support. And actually our edu school features in, in Damien's APPG report, which I'm very proud about. My point, Russell, is we created a new thing that kids wanted to use. We thought from a child's perspective, what did they want? And not only did we think, we asked them, you know, in the summer holidays, what do you want? I want some revision. I want to be able to talk to people. I'd like to go somewhere. And I'm finding it hard, really hard. So that's what we built into it. If we could do that for the future, we'd have, a, we'd have a support mechanism for our schools. But more importantly, we'd have a support mechanism for our children and families. That's what I want from tech.
1: So the prize here is, is a, a, a different level of engagement uh, and personalization and support that we could offer. And
4: more rounded thought of this.
1: You know, Again, it's, I suppose
4: it's my hobby horse is don't, don't stick tech as a subject or a thing. It's a medium, it's, it's all those things, but we just need to think more creatively about it. We've had a tendency to, to sort of push it to the periphery, but kids don't and families don't because quite often it's, it actually is part of their social infrastructure. So why isn't it
1: part of our education and social infrastructure? Fortnite has certainly played a major role in our social infrastructure at home here during lockdown. <laughs> I'm not sure that's what you had in mind. Um, no, it's not. <laughs> but the, uh, the drainage on my broadband is, uh, is significant when we're doing <laughs> something like this and uh, multi-user gaming at the same time. Um, Lisa, what, what's the prize if we get this right from your point of view? I, th- I mean,
2: the thing I'm most excited about is the economic inclusion. Angle here. So, one. So, for example, where we know that there are socioeconomic differences by region or by geography, technology can solve a lot of that. So, imagine a model where there were support structures available, or there was a. a, a you know, right now everything's sort of school based, but imagine if you could really easily identify kids who are falling behind in different areas and put them uh, in support structures where it didn't matter where they were uh, living. And obviously, that that assumes a basic level of tech access, but I think I'm just optimistically saying we're going to have to solve that, right? So you know, issues of broadband and, and basic equipment, once you get that solved, then that economic inclusion piece gets really interesting. And then related to that also goes back to this idea of the, the personalization and the use of the teacher's time. So one of the reasons why I love uh, ed tech is you get so many data points. So you actually can figure out what's actually working for, for, for kids or for learners and what's not. And, and, then, and then what do you do with that? So you can see where engagement drops off. You can see where different things are happening. And if you think about the fact that teachers have all been mostly de- delivering for Zoom, which, by the way, was not designed for instructors. And it was not designed for an educational context. What would happen if people started designing with, with the, the role of the teacher, the efficiency and the data collection and engagement in mind, right? Because there are ways, for example, to have peer learning, to have social learning, and again, have the tech track whether or not things are working effectively. So I think, I think this, this, it's a very, very rich world. Um, but but I think that we've things that we would have not thought possible. I mean, a year and a half ago, if you said, you know, we're going to we're going to we're not even going to worry where, where people live and we're just going to set up support structures based on needs, it would have sounded absolutely crazy. But now you can imagine that because we've all been living in this virtual world. So I'm hoping that we take some of the, the best things out of this space when we go back to a, a semi-normal um, uh, way of, of, of operating where, you, where, again, you can you can continue to think, well, how do we just break those traditional barriers that we actually know don't necessarily need to be there
1: now? So I mean, certainly one thing that, we, that we've seen is that um, with internships and work experience, when they've no longer been able to be physical, um, they can then be offered to anyone anywhere uh, in the country. And you don't have to live near a large employment centre um, to access that same uh, stuff. But it does depend on having the tech uh, investment in the, uh, in the first place. Uh, I'm going to move on um, to another question because there are so many um, coming in here. Um, but I think you know, actually one of the interesting things about lockdown was the fact that schools weren't shut and they were delivering physical education to the children of key workers and vulnerable um, students throughout this, and they were delivering online as well. Uh, and I think it's the, you know, gonna be the case that um, technology is, can be used alongside traditional um, teaching uh, as well, uh, which is both an opportunity and a, a complex at the same time. Dawn, looking, looking forward, how has it been to balance the, the physical and the digital? And, What do you see as the possibilities um, if we were to do this more permanently?
3: Yeah, I'm glad you came to me about that one, because that's something we we're now in the privileged position to have 200 Chromebooks. That I mean, we we didn't have any and now we have 200. So we've kind of we've set up a digital learning um, work group to have a look at, OK, we've got all of these devices. How can we make the best use of them to have the biggest impact on the outcome for our children? And some of the things that we've been thinking about is uh, one of my year five children uh, teachers at the moment um, is uh, she's separated the children in terms of those who during lockdown in this is in maths um understood the unit and was able to just run with it those children now are doing reasoning problem solving they're using enrich and they've got a chromebook with the support um with the support staff and um, while she is going over some of the unit again with some other children so that's happening right now that couldn't have happened you know even like six months ago um i think the potential in i don't think we're going to stop children we shouldn't stop children from writing children still need to write however in editing the work now some people think this is odd but to me, they write it, then when they're editing their writing, they type it up. When they're typing it up, they have to read. Because you know when you ask children to edit their work, they miss out half of it, and they're like, they can't see half of it. But when they're having to type actually what they've written, they see it. And then when it comes up on the screen, they see it. that's a spelling mistake. And I think, you know, it has a lot of potential in that. The use of games and quizzes, usually with the fantastic interactive. we thought that the interactive white world was going to change the world forever you, when teaching didn't we and you still have a teacher with standing at the front with 30 children i think that kind of thing is going to is slowly going to change if we keep with that investment um even walking around the, the school today i saw a teacher she didn't have the chromebooks in so the teacher was doing a lesson and the all the children were learning about wolves. I see in the future, the the children, they could research independently about an animal that they would like to learn about. So much more independence, I think, um, and um, choice, I think, will come into into teaching with, with the use of the devices. I think there's lots of things like the jam board, the quizzes, lots of things that teachers can use now. We're looking, okay, We've learned how to do that. How can we make the best use of it to have the impact?
1: So that builds a little bit on what Mark was saying there again about, about some of the opportunities for personalization and, uh, and and just different strategies. Um, Dawn, I'm just going to jump ahead to another question. Dawn, do you have an early years setting in your uh, okay. primary? Do you see there's anything, any particular opportunities for the for the very youngest um children, particularly for some of those whose development, you know, they may not have the opportunities. Um, for enrichment that they during lockdown uh, and more broadly. How are you using technology with the very youngest children?
3: Um, I think technology with the youngest children, it has a place, but I wouldn't put it as that's the forefront of what I would want them to do because it's about... The, for the younger ones, it's about socialisation, it's learning how to share. So I wouldn't want them stuck in front of a screen, so to speak, for any kind of length of time. But in terms of being able to practice and rehearse, I think technology really, really supports that. You know, the use of flashcards with younger children when you're doing your phonics, they they get probably more stimulated by having it um, through, you know, one of the devices in an iPad or something. So I can see it used like like that. But um, the exploration that I think you need in the early years, um, probably wouldn't be fit so closely with technology. Depends on what you mean by technology. If you've got yeah. robots and things, I think, yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah.
1: Again, technology is a very broad heading that we're, we're using um, here. Um, there's a couple of questions here that I'm, I'm looking at. One is, is asking whether there's a risk that in person teaching might be deprioritized because EdTech is so flexible. Uh, and another question, which I think is a, is a good one, is uh, is whether some people in the education sector and teachers perhaps get a bit defensive when talking uh, about ed tech, uh, and um, I guess those those things are potentially connected. Will it deprioritize the role uh, of the teacher or failures that we've maybe had in the past in terms of investment uh, as well? Um, Damien, I suspect that both as, a, as an MP, as a chair of various committees and, and in the Department for Education, you would get... Of lobbying on this matter, you will hear the views of teachers and others about, about whether they are defensive or optimistic about that. What's your, what's your sense of that, and how do you sort of tackle those worries?
0: So, first, I mean, to the big question will technology ever sort of downplay the importance of a teacher? No, no, no. Teaching is a people business, and it is about that person standing at the front of the room. They can they can be augmented, complemented, supported, assisted, all of those things by technology. But it's knowing the whole child and knowing how to get out of them what they can do. That is something that, thank God, I might say, is unique to the human species and particularly to the subset of it that goes into the into the teaching profession. Are some teachers sometimes a bit defensive or reluctant on technology? Yes. Yeah, sometimes, some of them. Um, I think it actually links a bit with what Dawn was just saying back to the smart boards and I was mentioning earlier as well. I think there's been a feeling over the years and this is much, much less true in recent years. And so I think you're probably finding people newer to the profession, you don't get this. But for a little way further back, I think quite often teachers felt technology was being grafted on to the education system and was something that was being done to them. And you know, you'd have an English literature teacher who'd be, who'd be, you know, have a, uh, you know, performance appraisal session or something, and he or she would be asking you, how are you using Microsoft Excel to teach Shakespeare? And the answer is, I don't want Microsoft Excel to teach Shakespeare. I want books, thank you, and play. You know, so, so I think there's a bit of an element to that. I think we're now in a new, in a new era, and and actually really helped by. Uh, by this very difficult experience we've had in lockdown where everybody has really thought creatively and broadly about how the different tools at my disposal, how can I make them work? They haven't all been technology, even during lockdown. There's been plenty of pen and paper based learning has gone on uh, as well and people speaking to each other. And all these things are very important. But technology, I think everybody has now seen the role uh, that that it can play. And, And we won't go back to the situation we had before.
1: And, and I've certainly not seen uh, defensiveness from the practitioners on this uh, this call um but mark for example do do your staff get worried about what role there will be for them in the future and how do you work through
4: that um no they do not they don't get worried no because I mean you know nobody on this call is going to say that the the, the, the the school workforce aren't the most important thing because they are and not and to be honest not just teachers you know I think it's everybody um, um no I mean our use of technology is well embedded and because it does the heavy lifting for staff what I've found is actually technology has become the best retainer of staff and developer of staff that I've got so I have this irritating habit that happened pre-lockdown where staff would go for interviews ask the questions of well do I do I have an advice and do we have um, a learning gateway and do we have our content pre-delivered and do you take care of the assessments for us in both primary and secondary? In fact, everywhere from early years to post-16. And if their answer was no, they all came back, which occasionally was a bit of a disappointment. Most of the time it wasn't, but because um, you just want a little bit of movement in your school, even I do. Um, but I suppose, Russell, without making light of it, if you build it around as a, as a tool that supports staff, they don't feel threatened. They actually feel cared for. You reduce their work, the, the amount of work that we can take away from staff if we think through the use of technology carefully, it is just enormous. Um, and you know, we, we, use, um, we use Power BI, which pulls together all the data that we have. Whatever we set up sits on this architecture, whereby we just make sure it all plugs in. And then all we do is provide the, the evidence, the gap analysis in the most tactile way for staff. And they just do their job. And they actually enjoy doing their job because they don't feel they've got to go and do those things that I resent. So they must resent. So, no, teachers don't feel threatened. I, I do think we, I think I agree with the, what, the message of everybody, we're never gonna go back. Um, so actually this is a really optimistic crossroads. Now we just need to get hold of some bits and make them more system driven. I suppose that's what I think will make a big difference to more teachers, because then weaker schools will have a process to cling to, not just some heroic person who sits in front of them at five o'clock and says it can all be done.
1: That makes, uh, that makes sense. I think in, in education, we sometimes have a habit of adding rather than subtracting uh, on things. We, we put more in without taking stuff away. Uh, and I think it's, it's necessary for all of us who have any role of influence in the system to also be saying, well, what do we stop doing for that? Or what can we do very differently so that, that people do see, actually, I do have more time to do the things that I care about as a result of this. I don't just have another spreadsheet to fill in or more data to collect uh, uh as well uh, and that does take sustained sustained effort um quite a little bit of a switch of uh, of pace uh here and, and focus we, we've talked a lot about what schools should do and what teachers need um to, to do but there's a question here about what skills children require uh, in this em- environment and let me expand that to young people more generally as well what should we be teaching them uh, about um about digital technology digital skills and how they might use them in the workplace as well as school. I mean there's often a a naive assumption I think that that young people are digital natives. That doesn't always uh, pan out. There are things that they need to know. Lisa, you've you've spoken already about the importance of you know starting from what you want people to do and then working back from there. So perhaps it's it's good to start with you on this question.
2: Yeah I mean I I think that's I think there is a real question about that is is what are the actual skills that, that one does need. I mean if I could wave a magic wand I would have every person Uh, you know, in their, in their schooling, Uh, do digital marketing. Why? Because I think people need to think in funnels. They need to be able to understand a customer experience, whether you work in a nonprofit or for the government or um, for a for-profit, you really need to understand people's journeys uh, that that, that applies to most organizations. And I'd have everyone understand statistics. Why? Because I think people really need to understand information uh, and, and, and how it's put together. So, and I think, I think working back from or thinking again about, about, what's the purpose of things? I think it's, it's a really interesting question that we think about a lot because obviously at Multiverse, we're, we're, we're accountable for people going through an apprenticeship, which can take anywhere between a year and actually three and a half years for a degree level and coming out the other side uh, with the right skills. But we always say, and I always say our product is not a skill set; It is a human being like that product is a human being, meaning we want someone to be entirely transformed. Uh, It's not, it's not ever just about acquiring skills. It's about do you have the confidence there? So again, if we go back to the thinking about socioeconomic factors, most of our apprentices um, uh, come. Most of them are women, and and many of them come from disadvantaged backgrounds, and will have to come. Many will have to overcome some sort of barrier internally to again how they're going to show up. Now you could say that they'll just learn that, but actually that can be the single biggest barrier to someone being really effective is the stories that they've been telling themselves or their abil- their inability to put their hand up or to you know to take a risk or to ask for help. So. Um, so we think a lot about that stuff and how do you and how do you build the rounded skill set related to that? And I think I think we do need to stack it all the way back. So what are the things that 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 kids need by the time they're 16? And then what do they need in the next phase? And also the ability to experiment and take risks. So I was certainly taught uh, and, and actually into my 20s as well, that you were meant to you know go away, do a project, come up with a perfect presentation. And, and that was it. Right. And that's how my school was structured. So you spend a semester doing a project and you present the final. Uh, or you do the same thing for your boss, that is not the way the world works now. I mean, people want people to kind of show something uh, and then iterate on it and be transparent. And that's really uncomfortable if you're not used to showing your work openly uh, and being able to make mistakes. But, you know, making mistakes, risk-taking, being able to to state hypotheses and then see whether or not they work. These are all really critical skills for the world we live in, especially where organizations are changing so quickly. Again, it doesn't matter what sector you work in, I've done government transformation, you know, I've done uh, private sector work and 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 things are changing really, really quickly and, and people need to be adaptable to that. And I, and I don't think that's actually something that historically has been something that we've really thought about.
1: The topic of, of risk taking uh, obviously has many positive things with innovation, but also we want to sort of minimize some of the uh, non-helpful risks to young people on, uh, on this. Dawn, I, th- I thought I might bring you in on this topic firstly again what you think young people need in terms to, to thrive within this environment but also how we keep them safe um online uh, as well there's a question a question about that and there are new risks and new threats um to young people um from this medium
3: yeah definitely and you know i was i was thinking about i was thinking about that i think it it goes back to those those early year skills um be and being able to be i think when they're faced with information, for example, they need to be critical about the information that they've been um, presented with. So they need those critical thinking skills. Um, and then online being, being taught to, um, to challenge what they've, the information that they've been given and being able to report all of those kind of things, because it is, uh, there is a big issue when it comes to uh, uh, online, online safety as well.
1: Yes, and the, um, uh, and the sort of the quality of information uh, as well as the sort of physical threats uh, to people too. Uh, Mark, anything from, from you on, on how we should be preparing young people?
4: Um, <clears throat> I, think, I think we ought to do more work, Russell, on, di- on actually digital skill development, because I think, I think you or Damien touched on this earlier. There is a real, um, it's a real myth out there that actually our young people are digitally skilled When they're actually socially digitally skilled, they're not great with anything that that is a productive productivity tool or where they can actually the sort of thing that Lisa was saying. If you bring something together and they collaborate and they can cope with uh, reformatting it and extract, they're not used to that. We need to develop that skill set. And again, I I suppose in my wish list from the beginning, when you said, you know, what can we have in my reformation of our curriculum, that has to have a strong place across the curriculum, not pigeonholed into a subject. You know, Daniel is absolutely right. There's some dark days in our deployment of technology where some governments spent a lot of money without not a great plan. Um, you know, I don't think the smart boards wasn't our finest hour. I think embedding elements of digital skill in our national curriculum was a much better time because actually they weren't contrived. You didn't have to use Excel um, for Macbeth. You could actually use it when it was appropriate, but you could move through it. So I do think per, per, it's one of the things that we support quite a lot of schools with is thinking about the digital skill development of their young people as well as their staff. So I, I do think we need to go back and do some work on that from the earliest of years, because we've got everybody from our nursery reception doing some interesting things that are age appropriate all the way through to my post-16 and our staff doing. So I think there is a digital skill development discussion we need to have at some point fairly
1: soon. It certainly sounds like we're to reap many of these, uh, these benefits. Um, there's a question here on the role of business uh, in supporting um, schools. Um, obviously there's, there's a lot of expertise, there's a lot of technology kits uh, available. And I know businesses have stepped up uh, across the country to donate laptops and devices, uh, to make broadband freely available uh, in some circumstances, uh, etc. So th- there's a role there, but I think we, we might ask if there's more that businesses can do to support schools. Um, Damien, I suspect, again, you will hear the possibilities of this and see, see the broader. What, what would you ask of businesses uh, and what do they have to, to offer the education sector?
0: Yeah, i'd love business to be much more closely involved with education not specifically on ed tech but just just in general of course lots of businesses are and lots of schools are but my my big observation when i was in post the dfe was that more often you you hear from schools that they would like to be more involved with business and you would hear from business that they would like to be more involved with schools but no one really knows how to start that process off and i think some of what's happened with the gatsby benchmarks and so on has has really helped and then of course like everything else this pandemic has come along and uh, and put a spanner put a spanner in the works to to progress but i hope coming out of this i mean i've said you know it's a bit of an extension of the principle of you know it takes a village that coming out of this pandemic for this generation of kids and young people it's our, our whole society has to get behind them And that includes more, you know, people doing volunteer reading in school and seeing if they could be a school governor or trustee. But it also means providing, you know, manpower for careers advice time. It means, um, uh, you know, having more, uh, inviting more kids to come and just see see different workplaces, uh, providing, uh, you know, staff time for mentoring programs All manner of things that I think could really uh, could really help specifically on digital the big thing that the digital sector we need to do in the next few years is provide work placements industrial placements for for t-level students so you know we've got this significant upgrade now in um in this new qualification but it does require very very chunky t- amounts of time to be spent in situ uh, in in leading companies so, so that, that's one key thing i'd be looking for
1: and you know, the structure of job opportunities themselves will change uh, following the pandemic yeah. as well. There are areas of significant growth um, as a result of this and significant loss uh, as well. Helping people understand those new, those new jobs uh, and how they work um, will, be, will be vital. Um, we haven't got time, unfortunately, for all of the brilliant questions that are, that are stacking up there. And my apologies to anyone for whom I've not been able um, to answer, uh, ask their question. Just by way of conclusion, uh, and I'm going to pick on one of the, the questions that remains, you know, we, we're coming, we're starting to unlock, fingers crossed, I, I really hope that, that this follows through. We're going to start to try and return to normal. There is a risk of, you know, we'll put this behind us, we'll forget the lessons learned, we'll get back to normal as quickly as we can. I think some of that normality would be really good and we'll welcome it, but others, you know, how do we keep the good bits um, from this? And I just wanted to, to briefly invite each panelist just to, just to think about, you know, after Easter, after things are starting to 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 unlock, what are, what are you going to be focusing in on to, to keep this momentum going? Um, Dawn, I'll, I'll I'll start with you on uh, on this one. It could be a large thing or a small thing. How are you going to going to keep some of the benefits of, of what we've learned on digital and social mobility?
3: Yeah, I think as I said, I've already, I've, I've, I said before that we've started a, a digital working group, and so we are going to be specifically looking at how can we make the best of this new resource that we've got to have the maximum impact on the the learn, the teaching and learning in the school. So how can we make the best of all the learning that the children have had and the the staff have had and that we don't use it now we we've got the you know google google classroom and all that comes with all the google applications how are we going to use those so it is about just keeping the conversation alive i think and having a look at research um i think i haven't done that before now i have this resource i can start to look at you know what's the research saying about the impact that you can have using digital devices um within schools
1: Excellent. um davian how are you going to keep momentum up in your role well so we've just i mean produced
0: reports uh in the all-party group with the uh, british education suppliers association called lessons from lockdown and i won't bore you with all of go through all the all the lessons but i mean some of the key things that came out of that are the potential uh, to keep going with some of what's innovation that's happened on assessments, on blending uh, formats uh, for learning, the the advances that have been in parental engagement, and also some things where we think more research is needed, more work, particularly on supporting children with special educational needs uh, and disabilities. And we've also called for uh, data for education platforms to be to be zero rated for data.
1: Excellent. Uh, Lisa, How are you keeping some of the gains that we've
0: made you
2: know what's so interesting is we just today had our ofsted monitoring visit report published and we received outstanding on that and and or significant progress is actually the 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 the, the label significant progress and 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 what it shows is and what we have in our data to show is we actually got just as good and in fact better outcomes in the last year online than we did in person so what it does is it gives us permission to look at how we can have a remote first delivery model that will not be London centric, or again, privilege people based on the traditional uh, divisions, but actually how can we make, we work with 16 year olds to you know 70 year olds uh, on these apprenticeships. How can we think about the in-person moments as being really special? Like What's special about bringing people together to do something, but otherwise it might be more effective for someone to be learning from their bedroom and not have to do a two hour commute into London Uh, You know, because they're a a young person living in their parents' house and can't afford to get in. So I think that's really, really exciting. But again, our model will always be heavily—it's about the coaching relationship. So we're using technology to enable those coaches. It's not about a tech. It's not about the tech delivering. If that makes sense.
1: Thank you very much. And Mark, the final uh, contribution goes to you. How are you keeping progress in the next six months or so? I think
4: um, Russell, we've done lots of work on delivering learning using technology for lots of years. I don't think we did anywhere near enough to support youngsters in terms of their well-being and them coping and then building resilience. And I think if anything EduSchool taught us, and we're continuing to do with a new version of it, we want that balance between actually helping youngsters to cope and scaffolding support and developing their resilience next door to the support for their learning. So I think that's never going to go back now.
1: That is something that we'll continue to do for the future. Thank you. Um, and look, let me say, say a huge thank you to our panelists for contributing um, to a rich discussion there from multiple different perspectives as well. Really grateful uh, to you and for all the work that you're doing in very different ways to promote social mobility uh, and to make sure that the most disadvantaged people in our country, the education system is on their side uh, and is helping to unlock that, uh, that potential. Very grateful. Thank you all for everybody for listening in uh, as uh, an audience uh, as well. Thank you for your questions, um, too. A recording of this will be available on our website, um, so you'll be able to go back to find that. Uh, I'd also like to uh, signpost you our next future terms panel, which is on Thursday, the 29th of April at half four. uh, And it's becoming an anti-racist school. uh, And there will be a similarly rich debate uh, and interesting insight uh, onto that one. Uh, I've um, slightly overrun uh, on our timing uh, on that one by two minutes, so that's a good point to draw this to a conclusion. Thank you once again to our panel. Look forward to catching up with you all soon. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for listening to Future Terms from Teach First. We'll be back soon with another event. To find out more and to attend, visit teachfirst.org.uk forward slash futureterms.